Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. In this episode of Brownstein's What's Next Colorado, a podcast series devoted to the legal, political, and business issues companies will face as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, Brownstein shareholders Sarah Mercer and Tal Diamant discuss Governor Jared Polis' announcement that Colorado restaurants may begin to reopen for in-person dining. They cover general restaurant reopening guidelines, Denver's temporary program for restaurants to expand into open areas, issues that should be considered before expanding into public areas, as well as the impact of recent protests as restaurants try to gain footing. Welcome to another edition of the Brownstein podcast series, the What's Next Colorado edition. I'm joined today by my colleague, Tal Diamant. Tal, how's it going? Great. Great. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining today. You know, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, last week, uh, the governor expanded uh, the Safer at Home guidance and order that he's issued to allow for restaurants to reopen in a limited capacity. So um, we want to talk to our listeners a little bit about that. And I'd love for you to tell us just, you know, kind of give us the rundown and the highlights of what do these new restaurant opening guidelines look like? Yeah. So thanks, first of all, for having me on. The governor um, announced on May 25th that uh, the reopening of restaurants will happen to the excitement of a lot of people, of course, who've been at home, eating at home and getting takeout, um, that that would start May 27th. And at that point, everything is still slow, everything is still limited, and so the capacity for restaurants to be open will start at 50% for in-person dining. That's at least initially. We'll see how long that lasts. Parties are limited to eight folks. Of course, all the social distancing rules are still in effect. Uh, Masks are to be worn by employees, by uh, customers, Uh, of course, unless they're eating. But generally, the idea is that folks are coming in, they're, they're still separated, and they try not to congregate in any area where you know, that generally does happen. So bathrooms will also be reconfigured a little bit to where urinals and and toilets, some may be closed so that if there's more than one person in a bathroom, uh, they'll they'll be kept separated that way. But I, I, I have a feeling that a lot of restaurants will encourage one person to go in at a time. I think it depends on probably the size of the restaurant. Uh, bar areas are still of limited access, Bar, bars, restaurants, cafes. I mean, those are all of the restaurants that uh, will participate, that will be able to open most of the places that we know, breweries, cafes, all of that stuff. Bars will be a little bit more limited because you can't, you can't be up at the bar table like you would normally be able to if food and drinks are prepared thereon. So that's one way also of keeping folks separated, you know, buffets, uh, self-service type stuff is not going to happen. You know, there's there's going to be folks that are designated uh, at each shift uh, from the employee side to make sure all of that gets controlled and gets followed and the guidelines are uh, being complied with. The only other interesting thing I'll add to that is that um, menus, right? Uh, another item that might get touched a lot, they're going to try and uh, do away with your regular menus and have either disposable menus or as we've seen in a lot of places, the places, you know, just like, 
just like businesses, the, the places that are sort of more on the cutting edge of technology will benefit because, you know, if they can offer electronic menus, they'll be ahead of the game as that's encouraged. What about for the staff? I mean, in a lot of these restaurants, especially small ones, the kitchen area is pretty tight quarters. Um, what is that going to look like in restaurants for, for the workers? Yeah. So first of all, again, as I said, everybody will be obligated to wear masks. Gloves are also encouraged whenever possible, especially obviously during meal preparation in the kitchen. A lot more uh, cleanliness standards will have to be implemented. There'll be uh, more frequent breaks to wash hands. There will be a lot more protocols to make sure that people are staying clean as they're preparing your food. Uh, obviously, that's, you know, the, the more you implement that, the more comfortable you'll make customers. You'll want to probably advertise that you're complying with all of this and how well you're doing. Uh, there's going to have to be training for all of that provided for the employees so they do uh, follow the guidelines, they do wash frequently, they keep their distance. Um, and then on top of that, of course, you got to make sure, again, to implement some of the uh, temperature monitoring um, and symptom measuring. I know that just like folks had concerns with how is that done at offices, right? Is there a station where that happens? Well, ideally, yes, you know, there'll be monitoring done um, when folks come in, but they'll also have the flexibility to the extent they think that's not practical to have a reporting system where folks measure their temperatures at home and report if they're sick. And then, of course, they'll have to stay away for a period of time. Uh, so generally, the hygiene, I think, the, the bigger hygiene than before and the social distancing, those two will be the more important measures to be implemented by employees uh, working both in the kitchen and, you know, out in the front of the restaurant. So it seems like, I mean, you know, what I hear you saying is that, you know, consistent with other guidelines and uh, under the Safer at Home order, it's really sort of slowly allowing more people to congregate in places. And that includes the employees who work at these restaurants, as well as the customers and the patrons but as safely as possible with the social distancing, with the um, personal protective equipment to the extent practicable, like you can't wear a mask while you eat, for example, while you eat and drink, but really trying to help to bring people back together in a smart and reasonable way in order to kind of keep the, the economy going. I think, you know, especially for some restaurants, you know, we've heard a lot of restaurant owners say, look, opening up at 50% capacity isn't really going to help my business as much. It still is more expensive for me to run my business, even if I put it on a skeleton crew, knowing that I'm not going to have as many customers. But one way that some businesses, some restaurants are thinking that they might help to close that delta um, so that they can begin to make some profits again is to incorporate outdoor seating. So maybe indoor in terms of at a 50% occupancy, that might not be workable for them. But if they could open up some patio seating or, you know, some outdoor seating. If the city closes the streets, for example, that could help them get to that 50 person max maybe and actually help them to generate some revenue. What are you hearing in terms of outdoor seating and maybe, you know, from a city perspective, how cities are thinking they might be able to help their local restaurants? So we know at least from the case of Denver, uh, Denver recently announced 
this program to expand into outdoor areas. That again, uh, similar to the restaurant reopen, some of the re restaurant reopening guidelines started May 27th, and all of these current guidelines, these current standards run at least until September 7th. So, you know that that gives folks an idea of how long the local jurisdictions, at least here in Colorado, are thinking they're going to have to implement some of these slower measures. Yes, like you said, to start getting people back out there, back together, pumping money into the economy, uh, socializing, mingling sooner than later, but in a limited fashion for essentially the next three months. At that point, we'll see what happens. I'm sure that'll be informed a lot by whether we see spikes or not. But for now, this new Denver opening program and outdoor program is allowing the process to be a little bit more streamlined and expedited. Uh, people are encouraged. There's a one-page application that folks need to fill out. It's a fairly simple process. Uh, they're trying to simplify it as much as possible. It's a little bit more, it's a little, it differs a little between whether you're trying, whether you offer uh, liquor or not. And, and there's going to be some inspections involved as well. Uh, notices that allow uh, the public to make comments. And so there is sort of the, some of the normal standards are still in place to make sure that your outdoor dining uh, is done in a proper way. But the intent by Denver, at least, is clearly to uh, help businesses get back on track, open up, and not just be stuck with this, like you said, the 50% capacity limit, because yes, you're right. It's better than uh, the takeout and you know curbside service that we've seen for a little while, but it's far from getting people, especially those that have suffered, a lot of businesses have suffered quite a lot, try and get them back on track, the city is definitely trying to do what they can in, in, in a pretty uh, admirable way to allow businesses to work outside in combination with the 50%. And, you know, th there will be uh, some issues with that. You know, the, there's a few things to think about. Uh, who's eligible for that is most restaurants that uh, we think of, bars, taverns, tasting rooms, even microbreweries. Food trucks and other mobile types of establishments are not allowed at this time. I suppose they can potentially find creative ways of working with restaurants to be able to offer services. Uh, they just can't have a, a station where they then build, where they then have a bunch of outdoor, expanded outdoor service uh, the way they normally uh, would operate. Yeah, I know we heard the governor's office, I, I know we heard the governor's uh, spokesperson actually mention that breweries in particular who might not serve uh, food could partner with food trucks or other local restaurants to allow them to open and meet this requirement that food be served along with the alcohol. I do want to, I want to ask about in terms of getting that outdoor seating, it, it seems like there needs to be a lot of cooperation among the restaurants. What are you hearing from your clients um, in terms of you know, what that might look like in the sense of cooperation between uh, the restaurants, you know, certainly there, there might be some bigger issues um, with, uh, you know, landlords. Uh, what, what are you, what are you hearing on that front? Yeah. So that's a very good question, Sarah, because from a strictly governmental approval perspective, I think they're doing a lot to try and open things up and, and, and cause people to work together 
to cooperate because, yeah, we, we do know there are centers, right, that have multiple restaurants. Uh, Denver was developing so greatly before this COVID crisis, restaurants popping up in a lot of different places, especially in the downtown Denver corridor, uh, in Rhino, etc. And you've got cafes, restaurants, and people sort of almost working complementary and attracting customers in a lot of different places. And, you know, those people will have to work together. You know, one interesting thing about the Denver order or the program, I should say, is that two places are not allowed to share an outdoor space, right? So they're going to have to work together in that way anyway. They're, they're encouraged to apply together for certain street closures to allow outdoor space, uh, but they're not allowed to share it. Now, the other issue that will come up is between landlords and tenants, right? While the city may allow it, uh, leases, uh, covenants that are in place in various centers currently in many ways prohibit the expansion outdoor into different areas because that affects access, uh, right, for certain uh, uh, stores. It affects their parking. Uh, It affects the way they operate, sometimes in a significant way, and they're protected and so landlords and tenants and tenants and tenants will have to work together to make this happen. So it's not just getting the approval from the city. It's starting early conversations with the landlords and your adjacent tenants and anchors uh, and folks that have these schemes in place to make this work. And hopefully folks will understand that it's a, a win-win if you work together to make it happen and to allow each other to work together in a mutual beneficial way outdoors. So you and I are in the business of, uh, you know, working with our clients, answering their questions, uh, helping them to understand whether something is allowed or not allowed. Right now, you and I, I know both have been encountering situations where there really is just no clear answer. So Tal, tell us, you know, when you're talking with your clients and they're asking, you know, questions and there's not a yes or no answer. I mean, how, what's your approach? How are you how are you looking at this? Um, you know, are you looking at best practices? What are you looking at when you look at how to answer these questions in this very, very new uh, time that we're in? That's a really interesting question, right? Because, you know, we're used to, as lawyers, in the past, when we advise clients as to are you allowed to do something, not allowed to do something? How do you go about getting an approval for something? Uh, Are you in violation uh, of any laws or rules? We sort of look at precedent. We look at, yeah, best practices. How do other people do it in the industry? What what do the contracts allow or not allow? And this is a little bit of a different ballgame, right? There isn't a whole lot of precedent. I mean, yeah, here and there we find, you know, some similar circumstances where you may have had, you know, some natural disaster or other issues that occur that have kept you from operating normally. But generally speaking, this is really not um, something we're used to. And so uh, just as we've seen folks apply for loans, um, SBA loans and and PPP um, support, it changes almost daily. Um, There is really not a ton of guidance and even if we get some guidance like we do now with these orders that we're getting and these restaurant programs, it, it, there's still a lot of room for interpretation on these things. It doesn't make our jobs that easy. And I think the best way to go about it and what I've been doing is you've got to keep educated. You've got to keep up to date on a regular basis. 
on what's out there, right? There's plenty of resources I've found uh, in the last few weeks out there. Uh, in addition to the orders and the guidelines, uh, there are law firms and consultants and government officials that are that are giving guidance on how some of these things should be interpreted. And the best thing, and what I'm trying to do for my clients is, and and of course, you know, we at Brownstein, there's so many folks that are involved in many different ways, different teams and task forces on all these different issues that are coming up. We have a lot more meetings, I'm sure, as you know, than we've ever had before internally to keep up to date and to inform each other and then to do it on an external basis as well with all these other sources to stay up to date on what are the best practices, what we think the rules are. Sarah, you you um, know better than anybody that we at Brownstein have a really good lobby practice, really good connections with our government officials. And I've seen many times where we've just kind of, when, when there's been an, an urgent question from a client, we've gone straight to the source and asked, what does this mean? How do we... How do we go about complying with this? Uh, that's generally what I've seen being the best way to do it. Yeah, I think that's, you know, what you say is so true. You know, our firm is so great, especially, you know, our business reopening team that we've got pulled together because we can help to try to get answers quickly and actually bring issues to the attention of the decision makers, fact patterns that, you know, they can't think of everything. So helping them to think through, okay, this scenario has popped up do you have an answer? Did you think of this? And if not, you know, can we help you kind of think through that and come up with something that will work for everybody? And like you, I've really found myself kind of partnering with our clients more than ever before to help them do these almost, you know, daily, sometimes twice a day risk assessments on their issues and helping them to understand that in a previous environment where they might have been able to sort of set a course and stick to it, the need to have flexibility and to course correct when we get new guidance that comes out and um, just kind of appreciate their frustration with that, but also to be there to help them as quickly as possible to make those corrections so that it proves to be as little disruption as possible as they as they start to get going. So, you know, we, we certainly can't leave this conversation without talking about, you know, we've been talking about this unprecedented economic time, but compounding that, of course, is this unprecedented moment that we're in um, with the protests that we've been experiencing here in Colorado, as well as, you know, just like many states all across this country. Um, We've had, you know, in addition to the very peaceful protests that have been happening during the day, we've had vandalism, property damage, you know, looting that has been happening in the evenings. Denver, for the first time in in the city's history, instituted an 8 p.m. curfew over the weekend. We're, ex- we're expecting that that curfew is going to be extended through the rest of the week. You know, business, these restaurants, they were looking to have their first weekend of, of, of reopening, and then they were told that they needed to shut down. And, and obviously, for practical reasons, for the safety of everyone, that was, of course, the right decision. But, you know, tell how, how do you think that this is going to affect um, the restaurants reopening? Obviously, frustration in many ways, um, has just kind of boiled up. In addition to the the news and, and what happened in Minneapolis, we've just got a lot of folks that have been sitting at home that have suffered economically, and something seems to have boiled over here. Let's just hope that what Denver and what other cities are doing, you know, will work sooner than later because it certainly is very adverse to 
this whole reopening effort, uh, there's no doubt. Let's hope it also, if, if it happens for a few more days, and let's hope it, it, it doesn't and it gets better. Um, it stays in a limited, very limited area. But I've heard bad, really bad stories of clients whose uh, stores have been vandalized, you know, windows broken, looted, and, and folks that were already suffering, not doing well on the verge of going out of business. And, and this stuff is happening now. It'll put a damper into it, into what, what's being done and, and this whole reopening effort. And let's just hope that the government and, and folks that start understanding, hey, we got to get this together. We got to do this right. Demonstrations are great. But we got to be careful how this happens because, you know, we're, we're hurting a lot of the same folks that the people who are causing this you know they know they'll know some of these folks that are suffering from from this and that now can't reopen the way they'd hope to and so let's just hope people come together um like we all have been uh fairly well over the last few weeks and months and get back on track with with this whole reopening business it's really well said tal well thanks a lot for being here and um you know we'll we'll check back in with you maybe on the next phase of the of the reopening and see how things are going i appreciate it thank you very much uh, for taking the time. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.